Well, for the last few weeks, we have been talking about worship. We looked at Genesis 22 and, and saw a list of things that Abraham did as he worshiped. We found that that was the first place in the Bible that the word worship was found. And so we studied some of those neat things and, and, and we, we went through them that if we practice those things, we will be giving worth to God and we will be worshiping as well. So what we've seen, when it boils right down to it, a key thought that we really looked at last week is that worship is all about God and it is not about us. And we've known that. That's a simple phrase, a simple idea, and it's a, a truth that we would all agree with. Worship is going to be about God. It is not going to be about us. We are going to give him our worship on a regular basis. To be involved in true worship is to focus our attention on him. It is to look at him. It is to focus in on him. The definition that we've been using over and over again is simply this, that worship is about God. Worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even with its blessings, but with God himself. Worship is the occupation of the heart with God himself. Now, if that's the case, we probably had better explore a couple of things to make sure that we're doing this thing right when it comes to worship. Not just here, but as we're worshiping God in, on our own at home, uh, when we're reading and, and praying and just in his presence, when we are worshiping God, are we doing what the scripture calls us to do as we get involved in this thing called worship? Where we find ourselves to, this morning then is John chapter 4. We will be there for the majority of our time. John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a familiar passage of Scripture. You will recognize it as we begin going through it. As you turn there, you'll read the title there that it says, The Woman at the Well or The Woman of Samaria. You'll dawn on you, oh, yep, I know this passage. This is relatively familiar to us. Let's work our way through this thing, beginning in verse number 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar and near the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to dry water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you... Being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So what we have here as we begin this is an introduction, and it's really Jesus' way of breaking into a conversation with this particular woman. Let's look at the end of verse 9. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Indeed, Jews did not have dealings with Samaritans at all. They would not walk through Samaria. They would walk around Samaria. They didn't want to have any part of it at all. Samaria was part of the lost tribes, and they intermarried. And so the pure Jews, if you will, didn't like the Samaritans because they had married other, other folks from different nations and whatnot, and they had had this, this intermingled thing. And so they were not... Um, what, what they thought they should be. And so there was this separation between those who consider themselves the pure Jews and those who were the Samaritans who had that background. Well, Jesus didn't appreciate that, obviously. And so he went into Samaria. And not only did he go into Samaria, but he went to a place where women would be gathering. And he went to the well, and he knew that this woman would be coming. And so he not only went to this place, but 
he also made sure that he met up with this woman. He was breaking down all sorts of barriers at this very moment. But he had an opening for the conversation because they were at the well, and he simply said to her, give me a, a drink. And she said, well, how in the world can you possibly do that? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How is it that you're even doing that? And so the conversation begins. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way to draw. So now from a topic of conversation that was common, a physical issue, give me some water. Why is it that you're even talking to me? Jesus immediately, when he had her attention, turned it to a spiritual conversation. We see that he did that quite often when he was dealing with people, that he really would simply get them into a conversation, and then he'd say, now let's talk about this. Now that I have your attention, I'd like to discuss this. And so he went off and he began to discuss that. So he simply said to her, if you had any idea who I was, you would be asking me for something. You'd be asking me for that water that, that gives you, gives and gives and gives, that is a living water. Well, that, that sounds pretty good. And yet she said, you don't have anything to draw. How are you going to get any water at all? You don't have anything to get the water. You're here asking me for water. You, you, you don't know what you're talking about right now, in effect, is what she's saying. And then in verse 12, she said, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. You're talking about giving me living water. You're, you're not saying that you're greater than Jacob. I mean, he's one of our heroes. He, he did this in an amazing way. And she's kind of talking about the well, and he's talking about spiritual life, and so Jesus once again turns the conversation, and he says to him in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Okay, he's about to divide this and say, that's that, this is this, pay attention. So Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. We're not talking about the same thing right now is what he says to the woman. You're talking about the water that's in that well right down there. That's water that, that you need to come back and get over and over and over again. I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about spiritual life. I'm talking about giving you water that springs up that you'll never run out of. I'm talking about giving you eternal life. I'm talking about giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about giving you something that you'll cherish and hold on to for the rest of your life. I'm talking about something that's really, really, really neat. And so he gets to that right away and says that, springing up to eternal life. Well, you need to understand that even though she was a Samaritan, she was, in effect, a Jew. And so the idea of eternal life, that's, that's a big deal. Uh, Jews constantly had that as something they looked forward to, and this was a good thing, and I want to live eternally. And they talked a lot about Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and, and, and Moses and David, and I want to live forever too. So he talks about eternal life once again, and once again it gets her question, uh, gets her attention, and she says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Not quite getting it yet. 
She's still thinking it's about this water here. And Jesus is talking to her about something totally different. Again, Jesus doesn't deal with what she's talking about. He wants to go a direction. And so he says this, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have said correctly, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now, the reason why Jesus did that was so that she knew that he was not a regular man. He, had, he did that so that she would understand this is somebody who is not just a man. This is somebody that knows me. This is somebody that understands what I'm thinking and what's going on in my life. And Jesus cuts right to it and says, I'm talking about something beyond physical life and physical issues right now. I know you. All right? So he's doing all of this to get to this thing. Verse 19. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You are somebody that can say things that, that are beyond the natural realm. You are somebody that has some insight from God. You may even be a spokesman of God somehow. I perceive that you are different. Verse 20. Now we're talking about spiritual things. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people, you Jews, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So if we're going to talk spiritual things and you're going to be a prophet and you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, I have Samaritan roots and, and, and I still have those heroes, but you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, if, if we're going to talk spiritual things, let's talk spiritual things for a moment. And the spiritual thing I want to talk about is this. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say that you need to worship in Jerusalem and where is it that we're supposed to do that? Let's talk spiritual things. You say it's this way. We say it's this way. What's the story? So many choices. What is the truth? Well, when it boils right down to it, nothing has changed. Nothing really has changed. Today, there's all sorts of people talking about whether you should worship here or there. There's all sorts of people saying that you can worship this way or that way. There's people that will say, I will define worship for you. We'll worship like this. There are all sorts of choices in our world about where we should worship, how we should worship, and what worship should look like. There's a lot of people that have arguments about that, about whether it should be this way or that way. It should be here or there, done like this or done like that. So what is the truth? Where is worship supposed to take place? What is worship supposed to look like? What is the central idea behind worship and how do we get a handle on this whole thing? Well, he goes on and he says this in verse 21. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. What Jesus says to her is this. You need to worship in spirit and truth and indeed it comes through the Jews. You have mixed it. You have intermingled. You have done some things. You have a history of that. You have uh, ancestry of that. But you have added a lot of different things and I'm telling you that here's how it is it does come through the Jews and there is a way for this to happen there is a right way to worship Jesus is telling her and God is telling us that there is a right way to worship also 
And in order for us to get to a point where we understand heart occupation and worshiping properly, we need to deal with and we need to play the what-if game. The what-if game. And I've referred to this previous because this is an important thing to repeat. It's something that we have to deal with on a regular basis. The what-if game. If only the place of worship were more beautiful. If it was only more comfortable. If it only had more symbolism or if it only had less symbolism, then I could truly worship. If only the time of the service was more convenient, well, then I could truly worship. If only the music was different. If only this didn't exist and that did exist. If only it was done like this instead of like that, well, then I could truly worship. If only the service was a little shorter, started at a different time so I could be out at a certain time so that I could do what I wanted to do, well, then I could truly worship. If only were things were more to my liking, then I would be able to worship. If only. One of the great barriers to worship, whether it is what we do in a worship service or if it is what we do at home on our own, is the phrase, if only. If only I had a little bit more time, I could worship. If only I had this taken off my plate, I could worship. If only I had that taken care of, I could worship. If only you fill in the blank, I would be able to worship. And what we do is we create this barrier very similar to what this woman did. And she said, you know what? You say you ought to worship over there. We say you ought to worship over here. Where in the world do we worship and how do we worship? Because I think worship should be done like this and you think worship should be done like that. Therefore, I don't know how worship should be done. I don't know what we should do. You need to lay it out for me. You need to help me understand. And we do that same thing in our society. And one of the reasons for that is because, and this is an important thing that hopefully we're going to fix over the next couple of weeks. If we haven't done it yet, I hope that we're going to, is that way too often we've reduced worship to this hour. We call this a worship service. I have no problem with that phrase. I hope you don't either. But if you think that this is the only time and the place that you're worshiping, you're missing out big time, right? We talked about that a little bit. This is an aspect of it. This is a part of it. This is corporate worship. This is a unique kind of worship. But there's worship that goes on in all sorts of different ways in your life on a regular basis. And let me tell you this. The surroundings that you want or the time period that you want or the lack of chaos that you want or the anything else that's going on will never quite be perfect. And if you're waiting for that, you will never worship. Never. You just never will. If you're waiting for that perfect thing, you'll never worship. It'll never happen. And I understand that all that's a hard thing. I get it. I understand that. I understand. There are people that said, if only this sanctuary was cooler, I could worship better. And there's just as many people that say, if only this sanctuary was warmer, I could really worship. 
I get that. We understand that. You'll never remove all the barriers. Never. Because you live in an imperfect world. So we need to decide that we're going to worship, and we need to understand that worship is different than what we normally come to expect, don't we? And that's what Jesus was helping her understand, and that's what he's helping us understand. And he says in verse 21, we read it again, we read it earlier, do it again. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus was saying, you know what, the place isn't the issue. And I want to reiterate that. The place isn't the issue. The place is not the issue. We can worship in this part of the building. We can worship in the fellowship hall. We can worship out in the foyer. We can worship out in the parking lot. We can worship on the bus. We can worship on a walk. We can worship in all sorts of different places. The place isn't the issue. Why do we have places? To make it convenient and comfortable and nice. Is it a lot better to be in here today than outside today? It's a lot easier to worship inside. Jesus wanted them to understand the place is not the issue. And we too often have made the place the issue of worship. Therefore, we never really get around to worship because we're so hung up on the place, on what's going on around us. He goes on and he says this. He says, you don't know what you're worshiping. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. He says, we have the answers, and Jesus certainly had the answers. It came through the Jews, and it came through Jesus. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. That's the issue. Spirit and in truth. True worshipers worship that way. Truth. One of the things we looked at with Abraham is that worship comes off of revelation. It is based upon revelation from God. It is truth. Our faith, our obedience to that revelation, that's an aspect of worship. Worship always will come from truth. It'll come from that revelation. This is how you ought to be doing it. We can't make it up. We can't do what we want to do. We have to do it on God's terms and God's ways. And God has laid out for us how we can worship him. And he says you need to do it in truth. You need to use the word of God. That's how you worship, is in truth. We can only worship if we are living in the truth. You can't worship. You can't worship if you're walking a lie. You can't. If you are not dealing with your sin properly, if you're not where you need to be, you can't worship. Oh, you can come to a worship service, but you're not really worshiping. You can participate in all the things that go on, but you're really not worshiping. And I think that that is some of our problems sometimes, is that we want to come and we want to participate in all of this, and we're going to get to a couple of passages that address this very thing later on. We want to participate in all the things that a worship service has to offer, but... In reality, we're not walking in truth. We're walking in a lie. We're not obeying the Lord. We're not following the Lord. We're not confessing our sin properly. We're not dealing with the things that he's revealed to us in our life. Therefore, we come to this particular thing that is called a worship service, and we find it pretty difficult and laborious. 
because we're not walking in truth. Part of the armor of God is the belt of truth. If we don't walk in truth, if we don't put on the truth, we're not where we need to be with the Lord. And much of our life will suffer. And certainly our time with him will suffer. If you have sin that you're not dealing with, you're just not dealing with, why would you expect your Bible reading time to be exciting and fresh and, and full of vitality? It's not going to happen. Many times we're just not dealing with sin properly and we come to the Lord and we think, what's wrong? God's not doing remarkable things for me. Are you where you need to be? Is truth dictating your life? Are you doing what the Bible says? Are you walking in that truth? It also says in this that you need to walk not only in truth, but it says in spirit and in truth. Now, you'll notice that even in, in the Bible it says this, and it's, it, the spirit, the word is not capitalized, it is a small s. This is not talking, it is not referring to the Holy Spirit, but rather it is referring to the human spirit as opposed to the physical. What Jesus is saying is that worshiping is something that happens inside of you. It's you. It's spirit and truth. It's you. Worship is not simply physical. It's not material, religious rituals and places. It's not outward. Worship is inward over and over again. It's reflected in what we do and how we do it outward, but it's an inward activity that comes out on a regular basis. As I have said over and over again, worship is a matter of the heart. And this is what Jesus is saying here, and this is what Jesus wants us to see here. If we are ever going to worship biblically, we must need to understand that it is a matter of the heart. Look at what he says in verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God wants us to worship him. But he wants us to do it in the right way. He wants us to do it in spirit and in truth. Let's look up some verses that will help us understand this. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. So hopefully as we go through these verses, you'll, you'll, you'll understand and you'll be there and you'll be thinking that, that just because you come to a worship service doesn't mean that you're worshiping. And just because you're not in a worship service doesn't mean you're not worshiping. Now that doesn't mean I don't think you should come to a worship service. I think this is a really good place to be on Sunday mornings. But we need to make sure that we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, that we are worshiping. Not that we're simply coming and saying, okay, let's go through religious ritual for the next hour. And we talked about that the first time. We talked about the idea of, of, of going through and just, and just doing what you do and moving along. Let's hurry up. Let's get to the next thing. A, a perfect example of, of worshiping in spirit and in truth, a perfect example is the fact that we, we sang a new song this morning. And there's two ways to approach that. One is, I, I, I wish they wouldn't do that to me. I hate it when we sing new songs. 
It's tough to do, it's hard, and, and so we're frustrated, and that sets the tone for our mind for the next 30, 60, whatever minutes. The other way is that, okay, these are words. We need to be saying these to God, and I want to try to figure this out a little bit, or I'm not even going to sing today because I'm just going to say these words, and I'm going to do my best to understand what, what it is that, that is going on here, and I want to try to worship him as best I can, even though I'm struggling a little bit because it's a brand new song. And we have that choice. Am I worshiping in spirit and in truth? Or am I just expecting everything to be done for me so that it just flies? All right, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look at what it says in verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul? And to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. What is it that God wants you to do? He wants you to love him. Love him. He wants you to love him. And because you love him, you're going to walk in his ways. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel is dealing with Saul and his lack of obedience, his disobedience in doing what it is that God wanted him to do. And Samuel comes in 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, and Samuel says this, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Well, yeah, I would think the Lord has a ton of joy and delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. He tells us that we should do them on a regular basis. And although we don't cut up an animal and sacrifice it in a fire, we have those same things in our society and in our traditions that we could call burnt offerings and sacrifices, those things that we do for the Lord. He says, does the Lord have as much delight in those things as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. What does the Lord want? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And there are way too many of us that think that what the Lord wants is us to jump through the hoops. He wants our hearts. And when he has our hearts, we do these other things. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Look at what it says beginning in verse 11. Isaiah 1, 11. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. But your hands are covered with blood. Verse 12. 
Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. What is it that is being said here? The form is not what I'm interested in. I want your hearts. And when your hearts are where they belong, you will be doing all of these wonderful things and you will come to worship then and the sacrifice that you offer will be a sweet, sweet-smelling sacrifice to me and I will love it. What the Lord is saying here is you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Your heart is nowhere near me and yet you're continuing to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings and I am sick and tired of your festivals and your celebrations because in those things you think that you are worshiping me and you're not because your heart is not mine. He wants our hearts. Turn with me to the book of Micah. Micah. We don't turn to these little books very often, but Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, chapter 6. Micah 6, 6. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body or the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's the same as what Isaiah was saying. What I want you to do is live out your faith because I have your heart. And then when you do all those things that we call religious acts, it's worship. And it is incredibly wonderful. All of these Old Testament passages, what we learn is that God has always been interested in the heart. Always been interested in the heart. You know what he's saying here. You know what's going on. It's the idea that, that, that we, cannot, we cannot take Saturday and use that as, a, as, as getting all of our heathen sinful activities and living those and doing nothing about it and then coming to worship on Sunday and think that God is well pleased with us because we showed up at church on time. We can't live that way. If you're living like the devil on Saturday, you need to make sure you're confessing your sins. You're right with God. And you're coming and then your worship is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. It's a heart. God wants the heart. He's always wanted the heart. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. I suppose I need, to, I need to explain something here at this point to make sure that we understand something. So let's say that I'm struggling with life. 
and I've just really struggled with my walk with the Lord. And I know I'm not where I need to be, but I, I want to be there, and, 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 but I, and I'm having this battle. Kent, are you suggesting that I don't come to church on Sunday? No, I'm not. In fact, I think coming to church on Sunday would be a really good place for you to be then. What I'm, say, what I'm saying and what I'm condemning and what I want you to understand is the game playing that we do in Christianity. We need to stop that. I'm not talking about those people that are truly trying to figure out God. Those people that are try, truly trying to figure out God ought to be in this place on a regular basis and ought to be saying, what is this worship all about? And what is this Bible all about? And what are this is all about? And they're trying to figure it out and they're coming and they're, they're doing their best because I know that this is a good place and a good environment. I'm thrilled that people would come to this place for those reasons. What I'm talking about is exactly what Isaiah said is, that, is the fact that, that for those who know the truth, are you walking in truth so that worship becomes what it should become? Or are we simply, do we know the truth and we are ignoring the truth and then we are jumping through the religious hoops and at the end of our time of jumping through the religious hoops, we kind of give God a wink and say, did my duty, continue to bless me, God. And I hope that you see the difference there. Because there's a big difference. We need to be worshiping Monday through Saturday. And then when we come here on Sunday, well, it is a sweet, sweet time. Because now we're doing it with other people. See, I can sing songs to myself, and I do sometimes, and it's not nearly as good as when I, I come in the sanctuary and sing once in a while. It's not nearly as good as when all of you are here. It's really cool then. It's a lot better when that happens. That's an idea. We come together with a bunch of other people and we think, man, this is good. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. And it's not good stuff because I'm trying to fulfill a religious duty. It's good stuff because my heart is where it belongs and I'm with God's people involved in a godly activity. And I like it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. God wants our heart. We're just going to scratch the surface today. We're going to go on next week with heart occupation. Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, from, for from it flows the springs of life. Watch over your heart. Where's your heart? Your heart matters. Because from it comes the springs of life. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. And I am not suggesting that there's some sort of perfection in life. I am suggesting where's your heart? I'm suggesting that when we sin and we blow it, we don't like it. I did it again. Huh. And we talk to the Lord about it and we ask him to forgive us and cleanse us. And it changes. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, it's drawing near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith first. It's the heart. My heart is where it needs to be. Matthew chapter 22 You know this, verse 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. God wants our heart. We would love God with our heart. When the heart is set upon God, true worship flows, springs of living water when the heart is set upon God. When the heart is set upon God, we don't need outside stimulus for worship to take place. It just happens. When our hearts are set upon God, an amazing regular thing takes place and that is worship. We talk to God regularly. You know, we talk about that all the time, pray without ceasing, and we, we do our best to break that down and make sense of it. Let me just help you out here. If your heart is occupied with God, praying regularly and without ceasing, taken care of. There it is. You've done it. Because your heart is set upon Him. If your heart is occupied with God, you are seeking the Lord continually. If your heart is occupied with God, you are doing all to the glory of God. If your heart is occupied with God, then when you gather together with this group of people like we will next week and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you will not find that to be anything but an exciting, wonderful event where I am remembering and communing with my God. God wants your heart and he wants you to be consumed with him. As you think about worship, whether it's corporate worship or whether it's worship on your own, small group, individual, whatever it may be, where's your heart? Think in those terms. Where's your heart? And, and, and you all understand this. There's no doubt in my mind you understand this. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that as you leave this place today, if you will just leave with that thought on your mind regularly, you know exactly what we're talking about today. Where's my heart? Where's my heart? Where's my attention? Because that's where your activities are going to be. That's where your mindset is going to follow. Where's my heart? Where am I with the Lord? Not how much do I come here. Not whether I come here or not. Where's my heart? Because if your heart is where it belongs, you will find yourself here all the time. If your heart is with God, you'll find yourself in the Word of God regularly. If your, if your heart is occupied with God, you'll find yourself praying and talking to Him all the time. If your heart is with God, you'll find yourself praising Him all the time. If your heart is occupied with God, you'll, you'll find Psalm 103 being the theme of your life all the time. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. 
If your heart is occupied with God, you just have this overwhelming thing that just kind of bubbles up and you can't really describe it and it's overwhelming. And the problem with us is that we only experience that every now and again instead of all the time. It's a battle. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Worship is a heart issue. We need to start there. And this week, I implore you, just have that on your mind constantly. Where's my heart? Where's my heart? Let's tweak that, adjust that, fix that, increase that, and see what happens with worship. Father, we thank you so very much that because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, our hearts can be occupied with you regularly and constantly, and yet we know it is a battle. There is a war raging. There are so many things that are pulling us and yanking on us and striving to get our attention, and we just need you to do a great work that we would fix our hearts upon you. Cause us to be occupied with God above all things. And then we know that worship will absolutely just flow. Father, may the place, the form, all of those things never be the issue in our lives. Remind us constantly, that's not the issue. It's your heart that is the issue. Where's my heart? Convict us that we would deal with our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.